everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forge forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to positive education pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks to talk with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the fourth Positive Education in Perth conference this October, and we hope to see you there. Today, I'll be chatting to Jules Dennett-Pikovsky. Jules is Head of Positive Education and Staff Coaching at Loretto Turak Mandeville Hall. Her background is an eclectic mix of pastoral leadership positions, including heads of house and year, head of middle school, and deputy head of senior school. She spent six years as the head of psychology at Monash Clayton, training the future teachers of psychology in the Diploma of Education program. She has taught both IB and VCE psychology in her career. Jules's particular interest in positive education originated in her youth in the field of sport, having played representative netball and having been involved in athletics as a mid-distance runner. Welcome to the show. Hello, Susie. Thank you for having me. As you know, we've got a, a few key questions for you today, Jules, that we usually start off by asking you for a flourishing fact. As you know, it's really important when you're taking this path down positive education that we take the approach of learn it, live it, teach it, embed it. So we're really keen to hear how you actually apply it to your own life, Jules. Thanks, Susie. One of the things that I do is like, I depend heavily on my mindfulness practice. So each and every day I do, I find some time for myself to just sit, clear my mind, go to the breath and come through that. And it gives me a grounding in my day and allows me to sort of launch into appreciation of what I do and the opportunities that come my way. And in particular too, the other thing that it helps me do is go to that place where I, I can concentrate on my values and how they guide my behavior. So I find that purpose and that those things to appreciate. That's the way I live it. And I cannot tell you how much that has meant to me in terms of flourishing my own existence, but also my purpose. Yes. And Jules, as you would know, mindfulness is increasingly being referred to as the foundation of flourishing. Uh, because I guess if you haven't got a, a level of mindfulness or awareness, you're not going to be able to mindfully apply any of your knowledge or skills. And I really like the link that you've made to recognizing your values. And interestingly enough, I don't feel that we have spoken enough about the importance of values in positive education. I know for myself uh, as a clinician in my early career and also then in executive coaching, out of all the techniques that I've used, the values crystallization and prioritization has been the most powerful tool for people in in shifting their levels of well-being. Well, absolutely. And I see that in the girls as well in terms of um, just working out their resilience and working on their decision-making. If they can just take a moment, go back, what do I really believe in? What am I really trying to do here? And they come through that and they come through in a much more settled and directional way. So it sort of takes away the confusion of imagine their world. It's out there. It's like this option, this option, this option. But if you've got those values, if you're practicing them and centering around them, then you're coming back to your reason for being. And, you know, to be able to teach girls that, what opportunities do we have in this world? I'm so lucky to be an educator at this time and in this place. Very powerful. And, of course, I'm very fortunate to be working with you at the moment, Jules, and uh, and with Loretto Turek. 
Um, and I guess my first question is what brought you or your school uh, to POSED? But it would be great to hear just a little bit about the school itself before you talk more about your beginnings there. Absolutely. Um, Loretto Turek is a Catholic school in quite a reasonably affluent suburb in Melbourne. And one would often think, oh, gee, why do people that have got a lot of things, and not everybody's like that, but have a lot of resources at their disposal, why do they need to concentrate on POSED? Well, everybody lives in their own life. And when you're caught in a world, you're caught in that sort of microcosm and you don't understand what is important beyond that. And so some of the things that we do here is look at girls helping beyond themselves and, and also dealing with their own pressures. So people sort of create pressure cookers for themselves and I think that's what's really important with this school, that we take them outside of themselves, we take them towards purpose. We, well, we offer them those things. You know, you can't, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. But where I'm leading our girls to an awful lot of water. <laughs> yes, and I guess before we start to talk more about the, the whole school approach, if you like, um, you've had a really interesting journey yourself, Jules, which I think people will be, would be keen to hear more about. Well, because I've only been here eight months, I did a little bit of interviewing of people yesterday just in preparation for this because, you know, you, you've got to speak to the people around you, otherwise you're just coming in and creating your own landscape without reference to what is here. And um, they just talked about the original rationale for what they, in, you know, for them introducing and I think we're at our first lot of year 12s that have had posed 7 to year 10 and coming through, so we're sort of at that end and we're analysing what the results, are, what the effects are, etc. But the school originally thought what are we going to do? We want to introduce a framework. We want to introduce something that has got an evidence base that can actually give our pastoral care program and our overall well-being of the citizens of the school a sense of what they're aiming for, a sense of what to do next. So it was really in support of the pastoral care. That's what came back when I was interviewing people about it. But also the other thing too is there's pressures on performance so it was like getting the best out of them not for that artificial reason of just getting results but for setting it up for their future like that perpetuating of when they leave the school how are they going to cope beyond those walls so it was that setting well-being as a huge priority in the school and it connected extraordinarily well with those values the religious values the catholic values in the school as well but also we've got dr susan stevens who's pretty amazing as a performer herself in terms of the arts but multiple master's degrees beautiful personality stuff and she just sets the right tone for us to flourish new ideas new creativity so that's really the journey for the school was back there it was like how can we do the best for the well-being and i think there was a a moment or an epiphany where they were just at the point where they went, dispositional learning is part of learning. Schools orient around the whole child, and I think this was their framework and their passage into that education of the whole child. In terms of myself, I really searched for a school. I searched for a school that knew what it was, what it wanted to be, and was unafraid of creativity coming to the fore is something that was important and just um, amazing education. And I've had an education in this school in the last eight months and, um, yeah, they, they cater to the detail, but they also go after the big picture and they just want to be transformative educators here. And, um, and this is one of the roads they've chosen towards that transformation, towards doing the, the best by the girls and, and to, addressing the holism of a child, not just their educational outcome. Fantastic. So, Jules, if 
So I just speak briefly to, I guess, the school. Um, as you uh, are aware, I've been really fortunate to work with uh, two other Loretto schools prior to working with Loretto Turak, that being Loretto Curabilly, which was actually the second school that I worked with on a whole school basis. And I really, I didn't know much about, uh, I guess, Ignatian spirituality or Mary Ward, um, and I was very fortunate to have a colleague, uh, Alex Scorman, work with me on that project who did know quite a bit, and I sort of progressed fairly quickly from my L plates, if you like, to my P plates, and uh, we made those explicit connections between, you know, what had been around for a very long time from St. Ignatius, and one of the famous quotes I recall was, ingratitude is the greatest of all sins, so gratitude, um, you know, featured very heavily with St. Ignatius, and the other intervention that I, I often think I would love to see it formalised and scientifically investigated is the examine, and again, in my very lay understanding of it, it's a one I guess, intervention, if you like, or approach at the end of the day where uh, you reflect back on the day and look, in my understanding, for the good or evidence of, uh, I guess, God's presence through joy in the day um, and an opportunity to express gratitude, but also to look for opportunities where perhaps you could have potentially uh, acted differently or behaved differently and then an opportunity to set an intention for the next day. There's so many wonderful spiritual exercises. And before I hand back to you, Mary Ward, the other famous quote that I love to refer to, even in my broader presentations, was she wanted the, the young women to go forth and set fire to the world. And for me, um, to be able to do that, you really need to be flourishing to be able to go forth and set fire to the world. Any thoughts around that? Absolutely. Like I, I walk around the school and, and honestly, sometimes I worry about myself because I'm walking around singing the Mary Ward song, like lead us on <laughs> Mary Ward. But it is a, <laughs> it is a celebration of um, what you can do when you're at ease and confident in yourself. And so that's that connection that I found, and that's sort of the direction for the school. We want women at ease, comfortable with themselves in order to be able to give to others. Like the first love is love of self in, in regard to that. Don't, it's like giving a gift, not because you want someone to be grateful for the gift, but because you want to give that gift pure of any obligation back. And so that's where I see the huge marriage between the religious values that the school espouses, but also the positive education where, you know, we, we ask them to practice gratitude within our formal classes on positive education. They have gratitude journals. They have reflection at the end of the day. They have, once they've got that sound foundation and appreciation of what they did in one day, take that forward in another, not in worry, but in confidence. So yes, yes I see it connecting beautifully. That's wonderful. And of course, um, many schools and we still, uh, I guess, are questioned around how do you um, make those connections between, I guess, uh, religious values, if you like, or the ethos of the school and the science of positive ed. But that's something that I know Loretta Kirivelli Kir didn't find difficult and, um, and I'm hearing that that hasn't been a challenge for you either. And you have a director of mission who I'm aware oh. of is also fantastic in helping bring that to life. Absolutely, and I think that she'll probably – she, at the moment, teaches RE but also does a lot of work with the student counsellors and the students themselves in living out goodness and living out confidence and, and that belief that women can do anything in the world when they're feeling good about themselves. And so I just look at her and think she's the living embodiment of what Pazeb wants anyway, like I do with a lot of the things that they do here. And that's actually one of the pathways we're taking where – 
mostly this year we've started to look at the events that do actually have happened, the joyful events, the flourishing events, and we're starting to reflect on those events and, and instead of them being separate entities, join them together with POSED, like almost a thread. So both both with a religious reflection, but also with that notion of, okay, if you look back upon that, what was there to appreciate? What was there to celebrate in that? Going forward with that, what strength did you bring to that? How would you use that strength and that growth to flourish future events or find purpose in what you do? So in many respects, we've got a lot of things that happen that we're applying positive education principles to in order to grow the girls to their full capacity. And I guess our audience are really keen to hear about uh, the journey that schools take. And I know, again, talking to many schools that it can be quite overwhelming. And we actually have a, a checklist, um, you know, if anyone would like to email us that we make available. And, and it's certainly not, um, you know, complete in its, in its final sense. There's always something that we're learning. But there's so much to, I guess, what we would uh, refer to as a strategic and sustainable approach rather than a sort of a scattergun or a hodgepodge approach. Can you talk us through a little bit about the journey that Loretto Turek has been on in positive education? Absolutely. A number of years ago, they put together the evidence, presented it to staff, presented it to Susan and decided, yes, this was something that they wanted to do. Then from there, they put together a champion team that would look at a development of an explicit curriculum and they've applied that to one lesson a week, years 7 to 10, but also the primary school has it embedded in their curriculum as well as some explicit practices as well. So they started there with very charismatic leaders and there were a lot of people involved in that. They trained their staff. They had you come in. And can I just speak to this audience and say, if you want to do something well, then get Susie Green in as well. Thank you. <laughs> because, well, no, and I say that genuinely, though, because I've said this to you when we've talked throughout the year. One of the things that's made my early journey here sustainable is being able to be coached by you on a regular basis. And that was a gift the school gave to me. So that capacity to reflect with an expert throughout was something important. And I think... That's what's also happened here along the time that they've worked. They've brought experts in, and in terms of checklists, that's what you need to do. You need to bring your experts in and work with those staff that are invigorated to make transformative change. So that's what they did early on, and they would train. They got a lot of training into the staff. They put champions in place. They put an explicit curriculum in place. Down the road, they're looking at the growth of that because they've had changes of staff, and I think that's one of the things that they've learned that you have to make sure you've got a sustainable system and structure. Otherwise, with changes in staff leading, staff leading in this area, you can lose some momentum. But that's okay. That's part of the journey. If you reflect upon that, you know what went right, what went wrong, and that leads us to that collective approach of today, where my staff and myself understand that while I might be the head of positive education at the school, they're leaders unto themselves. And one of our core values within our own faculty is that we're all leaders. And what are we learning from each other? And which which area of expertise do you want training in, in order to share with the others? We call it the octopus approach. Yes. Yeah, I've spoken to you about that before. And that is just that um, we've all got something to give and we've all got, all got the responsibility to be advocates and ambassadors in the school for what we truly believe in. But also when we go out with these tentacles, we also go out for critics. We listen to the critics as well. We take that on because, you know, we ask our girls to be critical thinkers. Going forth in education, sometimes passion 
can almost be poisoned by not listening to people that have legitimate concerns. And I think the bravery in that, the bravery to open up to that and to listen and, and not just be blind to one passion without hearing from others, I think that's really quite essential. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, the skill of critical thinking for a young person going out into the world, particularly these days where there's so much information available, you know, at hand to be able to assess that information. Um, so critical thinking is an absolute, you know, life skill, I guess, for all of us. Um, but it's also particularly important when it comes to positive psychology or positive education because there is a lot of information. And whilst the field, as you know, has been around for 20 years, there are studies that uh, haven't been referenced and so it's really important that you do have an internal champion uh, like yourself that can help make sense of some of that research. And, and I think, again, just coming back to your personal story, you already had, as your head of psychology, had quite a, a strong foundation in that underpinning. But there are also, as you're aware, schools that are going down this path are looking at building up their internal capability and supporting staff to do a master's or at least, at the very least, a MOOC, a massive, you know, open online course. It's so important, isn't it, Jules? Absolutely important. In fact, that's what I'm finding time for myself at the moment in terms of that ongoing study. Like, it's really important to have that background and that essential understanding in it. And many of our staff members are doing that as well. That's fantastic. Just moving along, it's always good to hear what your greatest learnings have been, what worked well or what you might do differently if you had your chance again. Um, and I guess just at this point, a, just a brief story, because I know when I was working at Loretto uh, Ballarat and I was doing a bit of searching around and I actually stumbled across Loretto Turak and uh, I was so impressed with the work that had been done originally, I think, with Kim Bentz, who's now moved on to Ravenswood. Um, and I was very impressed as, as to what had been occurring with, with little, I think, external support at that point in time but it'd be great to hear any learnings that um, and I know you've only been there a relatively short period of time yeah it'd be just wonderful to hear your thoughts and reflections on that. Absolutely I think um, what's come home to me and bear in mind that my my psycho psychological knowledge has been used in pastoral care and a lot of the jobs that I've done prior to this for a long time so I've been experienced in developing structures that support growth in staff and students. And I think coming here, that is the one bit of learning that stands out for me, that you need to look at the way you set up the school so that you're not, so that the learning is genuine or at its optimum. So that's really where we're going at the moment. We're looking to next year, the possibility of the staff that take positive education um, also being a homeroom teacher as well or also being a teacher of a subject, another subject so that they've got significant contact time because we've actually all the way around and those people will be supported with learning, you know, with training, et cetera, but all the way around it comes right back to um, relationships. It always will. And so in order for it to be authentic and make sense and not be an imposed learning, you know, to generally be received with uh, a sense of this this can actually work, this can actually do something for my growth for both staff and for students. I think it's really important that you support them with this infrastructure. And what I mean by that is that they're involved in the lives in order to affect the lives. And also with those relationships that are set up through that structure where the staff and the students have got contact time together, there's an authenticity that grows out of that. And you can also set up demand structures where 
you know, you hold them, you teach them how to use the skills, but then you set up circumstances in which the students can, can put into practice what they've been asked. And you ask more of them all the time because you've got that relationship, that, that amount of contact that will allow students to flourish and to grow within, in a supported way. So that's my biggest learning, like set up the structures, set up the contact hours, and be careful because we'll, we're about to learn some lessons on this too. Be careful that in doing that, that you're not just pushing staff into it too. Like do the individual work with those staff so that they can find their own authenticity in it. We'll do a fair bit of PL with staff. And I just said to them the other week, don't be afraid of being critics. But at the same time, this is not just something that is an adjunct. This is something that you take inside and you've got to find your own meaning in it. So I think those individual tuition or mentoring or coaching sessions with staff members as well as in terms of guiding them or helping them find their own authenticity is really important to make the structure work as well. It really is. So the structure, again, is so important. Um, and as you and I both know, that's not always easy to change or overnight, um, but it's definitely something that we'd recommend that if you're going to, in, particularly if you're going to invest in staff training and rolling out programs for staff and students, then the, the structure as best as it can needs to support that. And that can take time, as you've rightly said. The other thing that you've highlighted, which is Absolutely key. As most of us know, positive relationships being out of all the factors or variables that have been studied to impact well-being, it has the most positive effect. And I guess on the flip side, it also has the most negative effect when they're not working well. But when I first, I guess, was contacted by Loretto Turak, it was specifically around uh, coaching and, uh, you know, creating a coaching culture on the top of or on the back of um, some wonderful early work on positive education. And as you've uh, just recognised today, that you've now got a whole cohort of girls that have gone through from 7 to 12. But it was wonderful to see the recognition of coaching and coaching psychology, evidence-based coaching, if you like. And as you and I both know, Jules, too, coaching is not just about goal attainment or rah-rah, as uh, sometimes people often think it is. For me, it's very much about building positive relationships. So the skills, the absolute foundational skills, of coaching are using uh, basic micro skills that we might uh, use in counselling sense, if you like, too. But it's very hard to coach if you haven't got those basic micro skills. So it would be great for the audience to hear just, and I know we haven't got a lot of time today, but briefly about your thoughts around coaching and the support, using coaching as a support in positive ed. I think um, the two marry really well together. They're part, they're part of the same present in many respects because um, coaching's core to me is being brave enough to set up conversations, set up structures that allow others to lead. So it's a leader leading others to lead. So it's the questioning, it's the framework that brings out the best in others. And when they come up with ideas themselves, however supported those ideas may be, then they're their ideas. It's their future that they're owning. And then the next set of questions in coaching is, so how would you action that? And it's that bit-by-bit approach, but it's also a celebration of achievement, the capacity to reflect upon what doesn't work with a certain resilient mindset. And the also one thing I haven't talked about so far and I think is really essential here is that emotional regulation, yes. um, both for the person who's coaching but also for the person that's being coached, like setting that as a standard where you just don't have to throw the towel in, you just find another way, you look at options and you coach those options into people, that optional thinking, and that, and that you can find success 
in failure. Exactly. And, and that failure, like even with the year 12s that we, I'm teaching towards exams at the moment, we're talking about celebrating the moments when they get things wrong because that's when they've found out another way to prepare and cover for the eventual performance. And I think that's really relevant to the girls here, that perfection is not a human condition. <laughs> Growth to one's capacity is the ultimate human condition. And that strengthening and that practice of that strengthening is so important. That's what where the two come together. The emotional regulation, the recognition of when you're a little bit off, the breathing down, the bringing the mindfulness in, breathing down to, okay, what are my options here? And also that resilient notion of if it doesn't work once, that's not the end of it. It might be a failure, but failure is not terrible. No, exactly. And of course, the cognitive behavioral solution focused coaching, which is a lot of the, I guess, the, the research that I've done has been based on that model, helps look at the, the thinking, um, I guess. And as you would know, we refer to them as the ants, the automatic negative thoughts mm. that can uh, often is what's undermining, I guess, that progress um, or, you know, a sense of confidence, if you like. But using those solution focused techniques are helping them find those multiple pathways, which, uh, you know, is also underpinned by hope theory as well. So, um, we could talk about that all day. All we day, are, Susie. We are running out of time. So just quickly, if I was, you know, having a chat to you in five years' time, Jules, what do you think? Or if I came for a visit to Loretto Turak in five years, what might be happening? You talk to the girls and one of the things that they would say to you is something that our um, school captain put in a speech a little while ago, and that is, I don't have to, I get to. And so that, that mantra mm-hmm. of I get to, that, in those two sentences, I don't have to, I actually get to. It's the gratitude for being. It's the gratitude for the opportunity. It's the strength to go on. It's the go back and do it again. So you'd see that. You'd also see the living and breathing, the natural authenticity of positive education in all of what we do. You'd see staff that taught dispositional learning as part of the whole child teaching. You'd see options when the Girls would problem solve one way and they couldn't do it that way. You'd see that again. You'd see the staff doing that and you'd see us being proud that we send young women into the world that are amazing human beings and you'd see us being proud of the staff that flourish and go into the world and um, and take with them a sense of what it is to the advantages of being trained in a strengthened, um, resilient mindset. That's what you'd wow. see. We love it, and um, I'm sure that's the dream of many other uh, schools and um, individuals in this area that would love to see that uh, be brought to life as well. So just one final question, Jules. If there was one book, a podcast, or perhaps a, a TED Talk that uh, you might recommend that's been you know, fairly impactful for you or one that you think would be a, you know, a must-read for people interested in positive education or positive psychology, what would you say? May I have two, a TED Talk and a book. (laughs) The book that just got me absolutely firing on positive education is a book that's non-specific to positive education. It's a book by Daniel Coyne called The Talent Code. And what what I basically understood from that book is that um, talent is not all born. Talent can be taught. And so to me that was the living embodiment of – of best self enterprising and so it was just a mind shift for me and it was a number of years ago more recently dr lucy hone's um ways of grieving resilient grieving um it's transformative 
and it's yeah. um, practical and it's moving and it's human. And the girls, when I show that to them, because it's applicable not just for the grieving process, but it's applicable to everyday life, they write it down the five things and, they, and they're affected by it. And they never forget her and they never forget the message of Lucy Hearn. No, I was really fortunate. Uh, as I think you were to hear Lucy speak at the recent Positive Education Schools Association conference at Geelong Grammar. And for me, uh, Lucy's presentation was the standout presentation. So genuine, um, so heartfelt. Um, so I can, I haven't read it, but based on what I heard, I would completely agree. Mm. So thank you, Jules Dennett Bukowski. You really are a pioneer in positive education. Thank you for sharing uh, yourself, your generosity. And we do look forward to checking in in five years time and seeing what exactly is happening at Loretto Turek. Thank you so much, Jules. Thank you very much, Susie. And right back at you. You're my queen. so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one brought to you by our sponsor Perth College who will be hosting the upcoming Positive Education Conference in Perth on Saturday 27th of October. Don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.